0: Recording, you ready to do this? Yeah, all right. But first, I'm gonna talk about Talk Mobile. Talk Mobile is an innovator in retail and works with organizations like T Mobile to operate stores throughout Arizona. Eric,
1: have you seen a Talk Mobile? I have not seen a Talk Mobile, but I hear you talk about it all the time.
0: That's right. I haven't seen one either, but I do know they're in Arizona, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Louisiana. I don't know if you're looking to make a career change because you're pretty well in your career, but for more information or to jumpstart your career or do a career change, you might want to visit TalkMomonet.com. Again, that's TalkMomonet.com, our primary sponsor. Welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. This week we are joined, as promised, by Eric of Last Era. Eric, what do you think about that engine noise that starts this segment?
1: It's good. Is that your car?
0: <laughs> that is my car. It is? Yeah, that absolutely is my car. Cold start in the garage.
1: Nice, man. You got to get one with the valve going, though.
0: Yeah, I'll work on that next now that I have this external Zoom H5 handy recorder.
1: Well, you don't have one of those uh, tunes where you got the uh, pops and crackles and the annoying popcorn shit, do you?
0: No, I can't do the two step. I can't do any of that. <laughs> um, actually, when I when I when I'm driving, right, if I'm just kind of coasting in second gear, maybe about somewhere between 20 and 35 miles an hour, it will back. It will poof, shoot a little flame.
1: I saw that. I saw you posted something on Instagram where you had a little flame age going on, which is dope. But I'm glad your car is not making all those pops and crackles because there's there's people that overdo it, man. With those top tunes, man I'm glad your your car just does the flames, but it doesn't do all the the crazy noises and it, it uh
0: well you know there's a, there's a whole culture of people who love those two steps and those you know and that's that was me making that noise with my with my mouth I'm getting pretty good at sound effects, so you may have thought I was playing a live video, but I wasn't that was actually me, <laughs> but I mean it's cool, I'm not into it, you know um cool. I think it was kind of cool, you know on Instagram when you see a car. F- you know, firing off flames and they have those competitions, but I don't know besides completely destroying your muffler, what that does.
1: I don't either. But um, people love that shit, man. You're right. It's a, uh, it's a popular thing, especially at the car shows.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's always so like, um, import face off and elite tuner, you know, some of the bigger events that travel around the country, they always have a two-step competition and people gather around and they cheer and they love it. And then there's a, a few of my NSX guys, I think Michael Mao in California has a tune like that. But, you know, his, his car, I think, is also twin turbo. So at least it moves. I mean, some of these cars don't really move, but they do make a lot of noise.
1: <laughs> oh, I guess I get it, right? When you were a kid, did you ever used to ride your bike and stick like a can in the in the tire or like a baseball car just to make it sound like a motorcycle?
0: I mean, you're not American if you didn't stick something down there. <laughs> I knew where you were going with that too, because absolutely, you wanted that annoying ass noise, but you wanted it to sound like a dirt bike or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's something about when you mod something, your bike, your car, that you wanted to make it sound cooler than you know it really is. I remember when I was 16 years old, driving around a beat up Honda Accord that my dad handed down to me. In 19, it's probably a 1987 Honda Accord LX. Hatchback, if you remember what those look like with the flip up headlights. Yes. And I think I went to like the local parts store. There was an AutoZone back then, but so it was something else. And they made these like aftermarket mufflers that you could just bolt on to your existing tailpipe. And I think it was like a before like exhausts were like commonplace, they were just like bigger uh mufflers that you could just add on that made a little bit more sound
0: like some cheap auto parts shit
1: yeah dude and uh yeah that's all you can afford is all i could afford when i was 16 years old it's super super cheap food on there and it sounded like shit but
0: you know, but to you it sounded thing, cool right
1: oh you thought it sounded cool for a hot minute and then your friends are like what the hell are you doing no, and that looks like shit
0: bro because they don't understand the life <laughs> It's the car mod life. Like people who aren't into cars or even people who are into cars, but not into the car show or the car car mod game, they just do not understand. They don't understand why someone would want to put their car on bags. They don't understand why somebody would want to get fender flares. They don't understand why somebody would want to put decals on their cars.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, cars, I I mean, we could talk about how cars are, you know, when you were a kid, you wanted to make your bike like that and then when you got a car you wanted to make it like your own and it's kind of like an extension of yourself so you do stuff to Absolutely. your car it never ends right even if, at the point when you do get a nice car or a decent car you're still kind of doing those types of things people never really understand why you do that but car people car enthusiasts they get that doing that stuff to your car is like it's just part of like the identity of what it means to own a car in the United States—it's very personal. So,
0: I'm going back to putting the, the putting the um, the cards in your bicycle. What kind of bicycle did you have? Oh man! Because I'm picturing you and with like a mongoose or a red line or something premium.
1: I did have. A, I had a red line bike. I remember when of I bought. Of course you it. did. Well, first of all, first <laughs> I had. First, my mom bought me a, a bike at like Kmart or something that kind of looked like a Mongoose or a red Redline because you just couldn't spend that kind of money on for getting me one of those bikes when the first was it a Huffy? in a high school. It was like a Huffy. Yeah, Huffy or what was it? Uh was a different... It was not Huffy. It was... um, Oh, God, dude. It was one of those types of brands that was not like the the Mongoose or the, the Redline BMX bikes. But anyway, it looked like it, but it was heavier shit, right? It was like probably twice the the weight of a Mongoose or a red line. It didn't have the cool pegs in the back. It didn't have the little gy- gyro rotor where you could spin your handlebars all the way around without getting the brakes, <laughs> the brake lines all, all tangled up. You remember that?
0: Oh yeah. Did it did. It did at least have free You can pedal
1: backwards when you're going it did, down the it road. did have free did have free And then even those bikes you would mod, right? You would throw stuff on that stuff, right? You throw the pegs on, put some stickers on it, you know, stuff like that. So, I didn't have like a fancy, fancy bike until probably later on in high school. But uh, yeah, man, those are the BMX bikes back in the day. I think there's still a lot of people that are into that shit too, man. You could buy some vintage BMX bikes on eBay and, and they go for a good amount of money, I think.
0: We had a Huffy. So first, I remember my first bike had like the banana seat and it had you like- had the-
1: bike. With
0: a banana seat, I had a bike with a banana seat. It was kind of like a <laughs> glitter. <laughs> was,
1: like was a, it a boys, Was it a boys bike?
0: Well, hold on, I'm not done. Okay, it had a glitter. It had a kind of glittery seat, and it had the the slanted bars, not the one that went straight across. <laughs> Yeah, It was like a chick's bike. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah. So that was my I first bike.
0: And then I remember, um, I think it was Christmas or maybe it was birthday. Cause my brother and I had the same birthday. We're both February 9th and, uh, we both had basically the same Huffies. So my parents brought home, we had blue Huffies. So they had the pads and everything on them. And oh, that was like pads. our first yeah. cool bike. Although it, I mean, it's a huffy. So, I mean, I don't know where huffy's at today, but I know back in like 1985, they were heavy as shit. So you were yeah, basically oh, yeah. describing. <laughs> they weren't a Diamondback. Oh, maybe that's what you're thinking earlier, because Diamondback, oh, Diamondback was back. like, yes, it was yeah, like the go. best of the mid tier, and then you got into the thousand dollar red lines. So it wasn't yeah, one of those. Was... But when you're talking about stickers, I'm thinking of like I would go across the street to Sack and Save, which used to be Safeway. Well, it was literally right across the street from my house. But you go up to the machine, the sticker machine. So you can either get a weird toy in those clamshell bubble containers. Yeah, you
1: throw the quarter <laughs> in there and you twist the thing. And yeah,
0: it- yeah, yeah. Or you put 50 cents in because you wanted to get the ninja sticker and you'd push it in. It was kind of like not really oil slick, but it was like kind of that diamond pattern oil slick stickers. You pull it out and you get the 50 cent sticker. And that's like the type of <laughs> shit. You <laughs> either that or either. play heavy barrel. But, you know, you put that sticker on your bike, man. So my bike was covered with just stupid as shit.
1: Yeah, but the bike, when you had a bike, I also was a skater back then. So I was probably more a skater than I was a biker.
0: What kind of board did you have? Did you have a Tony Hawk, a Powell I had a Powell Tony Peralta. Hawk,
1: Powell Peralta with the, the two sides that look like basically the tail and the nose look exactly the same. They had the Tony Hawk skull on it. It was blue. My brother had a, a Tony Hawk. It had a different color. And we, it was our first skateboard. Well, we bought a, We had first gotten like a cheap skateboard just to learn how to do it. And our, our, my, my, my parents bought us the Tony Hawk because we begged and he begged and he begged, And so I lived in Chicago. I lived in Skokie, which is a suburb of Chicago at the time. And we dragged my mom down to Evanston where to a skate shop called Tom Thumb. Those who uh, who are local to Chicago will know what I'm talking about. And you go on in there, you're a young kid, right? You walk into a skate shop or a BMX shop, you're intimidated, right? There's there's people that actually have been doing it a long time. There's older kids in there, right? And and then you know it's kind of your first time trying to buy. In this case, I was buying. We were buying our first skateboard. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. We just watched. Uh, we just read about Tony Hawk in the skate magazines like Trans World or something like that. Skateboarder magazine.
0: Fucking Gleam in the we cube. Knew,
1: Yeah, greening the cube, right? (laughs) Watching, we know we wanted that board. We went in there, you know, like we want the Tony Hawk board. I don't remember how much it cost, but it probably cost a grip money. But I remember getting that board and being so happy. And then I rode the shit out of the thing for years and years, right? Um, And then it just, it was like, just like the BMX uh, scene. It was like, you know, you and your friends just riding around on the skateboards and the bikes. It was just like the best. Thing I remember about being in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, before you get to high school and get your get your car, you were you're riding around in that on those BMXs and on those skateboards. Right? Oh, I didn't
0: have no car in high school, and I know that when it came down to skateboards, I I always sucked. In fact, we tried to make one. I think my dad tried to make it's a skateboard out of plywood. <laughs> oh, <that's, laughs> so you drill the four holes situation. for the <laughs> <laughs> drilled the four holes for the trucks. And put, put the
1: sandpaper on the top,
0: yeah dude, the sticky the grip paper, bro, the grip <laughs> paper too? that was adhesive, the grip tape there was adhesive on the back end, yeah, you cut out your shapes and shit, so we oh, had a boy. we had a skateboard made out of fucking, <laughs> fucking plywood, and um <laughs> some like. <laughs> This bright orangey red grip tape, and and I mean, I couldn't ride it more than 10 feet anyway. I fucking sucked at shit like that. That's why I always stayed on a bike. I mean, I was, we were always jumping ravines and shit. Like, I was a daredevil on my bike.
1: Good memories, right? Like, thinking about what you used to roll around in back in the day.
0: I remember my dad tried to get on the bike once. I'll never forget this shit. And I was trying to do a wheelie. And he was like, I'll show you how. And I remember it was my, myself, my brother, my father, my mother. For one, For some weird reason, we're all out front. Cause we never did it. That's like the only memory I, I have of all of us just chilling out in the front yard. Dad gets on the bike, tries to do a fucking wheelie pops it way too hard, <laughs> falls off the bike, lands on his ass.
1: <laughs> was just, how, old he, how old are you at this point? How old is your dad?
0: I don't know, dude. I think maybe I was in middle school, like maybe sixth grade, maybe fifth grade. He, he had no business being on a bike. Like I've never seen my dad do anything remotely athletic ever. And he's trying to ride this bike and he fucking just busts his ass. (laughs) Like, who does a wheelie and falls off the fucking bike?
1: That's like most people pull
0: their feet down because they know they're about to fall. He didn't even pull his feet down, man. It's just. Yeah, and
1: you know, those bikes are not that tall, right? I mean, like a ghost came and
0: uppercutted his ass while you're sitting on the bike, man. It was. If he ever listens to this podcast, he might kick my ass.
1: (laughs) He should. I was riding, so uh, I took the kids out a couple weeks ago, and they were riding their bikes, and I was riding the skateboard. And I literally, I like, I was like, okay, okay, I think I could do some tricks still. And I was like, ah, okay, let me try to oh, impress no. my kids, right? So I, I put the, I put the board in the driveway in between two cracks, right, so it wouldn't move. And I tried to do an ollie. I fell a few times. Probably looked like an idiot to my neighbors, but my kids thought it was cool and my, my son's six years old right so anything I'm doing right now is cool so, um, yeah you but, pulled
0: a Pete Finning is what you
1: did yeah yeah, yeah exactly I did what you do dad did <laughs> but uh, but yeah man it's hard dude it's, it's like how do you I don't remember how, I was able to do any of that shit back in the day
0: when we get back you want to talk about some Willie T ribs
1: yeah yeah Willie T ribs up
0: when we get back we'll talk about some Willie T ribs and we'll talk about one of our sponsors Welcome back. Before we continue, I want to tell you guys about NSX channel. NSX channel on Instagram, they sponsor our Instagram profile highlight of the week. We don't have one this week because we're going to be talking about uppity. But NSX channel is your number one source for NSX content. Whether you're bone stock, you look like a fighter jet like mine, or you just have some crazy shit going on, make sure you visit NSX channel on Instagram. And again, we're joined by Eric Peja today as a co-host, one of my favorite friends
1: you're one of my favorite friends, but you still don't know how to pronounce my last name.
0: Pasha. <laughs> we <laughs> went through on, this man. last time. Pasia.
1: Pasha, man. Pasha. That's
0: what I said. Pasha. I've been saying Pasha you the whole this, time. What did you hear? Pasha. You don't
1: want to correct people.
0: You do want, yeah.
1: You're my boy. I've known you for, what, how many years now? So it feels embarrassing. Yeah.
0: Let me tell you something. My, co- they- my, my manager at work, his name's Manuel, he told me a couple of weeks ago that the CIO, for like a year, he was calling him McGale. <laughs> fucking miguel so he put up with that shit for a year
1: you don't want to correct people. people people don't want to correct other people man it's kind of that's kind of rude but that's completely that's completely <laughs> off man
0: fucking miguel i have a um a radiologist i used to work with and i don't know dr brink if you ever listen to the podcast i want to apologize but we can all laugh about it today so for years i worked there for four years he, he was calling me jason so much where I would, yeah, I would joke about it with some of the other um, radiologists like Dr. Patrick, but he would always be like, Jason, and just start cracking up, you know, because he knew my name was Jay. But yeah, for oh, the longest, and I never corrected him. No, no, no. He just, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where, you know, you could tell they're like bonding and budding up with you. It's like, you know what I mean? You know, you get that, Jason? Yeah, man. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, sure, Dr. Brink. But for what four years. Don't you, you, you know hate when
1: you, you, you realize you've been calling somebody the wrong Pronouncing their name the wrong way for like years. <laughs> it's the worst feeling. They're like, damn, why don't you tell me? Well, I don't want to correct you. It's rude.
0: So at least once a podcast, it's going to be Paja and Paja.
1: Peja, Pasha, Pasha.
0: How about Pasha. like Sasha, but with a P?
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: How about just Eric how are you, P? How,
1: whatever you need to do to remember it. In high school my teachers and my coaches when I uh, I played sports in high school, they just call me Pasha, right? They wouldn't even call me Eric. And the problem was I have a huge family. Have, I've got 50 first cousins all living in the same city. And so when you call Pasha out, it was always like, okay, who are you talking about?
0: Like everybody <laughs> looks.
1: Everyone looks like Pasha. It was this kind of running joke. It's
0: like a game of whack-a-mole. Pasha heads pop up.
1: Yeah. Pretty
0: much. I got to ask you something. This
1: time I'll correct you because. Yeah, Pasha.
0: Sasha like Pasha. Pasha like, yeah.
1: There you go.
0: So you had some issues because right now you're recording from inside your Tesla.
1: Yeah, man. Like
0: your house got all fucked up and most people don't just pack up and move out when they have a small issue. What happened with you?
1: Big or or small, but I'm I'm coming to you straight from the driveway of my sister-in-law's house and my wife's Tesla. Hopefully, you can hear me okay, but
0: yeah, you're uh, fine. Earlier
1: tonight, I got home from work, and the funny thing is, my daughter texts me, she's like, Dad, this I can't flush the toilet. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, God, you're like, What am I coming home to? Thank Damn you for it. letting
0: me know that. What, what would like, you like yeah, me to do mo- about it when I'm at work?
1: It's Monday. I'm like, Gosh, okay, I'll go home, take care of it, right? I'm thinking nothing of it. Get home. First thing I do when I walk in the door is I wash my hands. I pick up my son from school. I take him to the sink. We wash our hands.
0: He's dirty as Um, fuck, isn't he? I mean, if the first thing you do when you get home from picking your son up from school is washing your hands.
1: Yeah, six years old and first grade, man. Come on, you know. If I don't wash his hands before we leave school, I wash his hands when we get home, right? My wife's germaphobe. My my whole family is like a germaphobe because my wife's a germaphobe. So we're always constantly washing our hands. So we wash our hands. We, we go in to try to wash our hands at the, the kitchen sink, and the water doesn't go on. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yo. I'm yeah. confused for like 10 minutes. Like, what the hell is going on? And so come to find out there's a water line in our neighborhood that, that busted. So it turned off the water. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, oh, so okay. it wasn't
0: local to your house. It was in your neighborhood.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so got it. Okay, it's one thing to run like to not have any electricity because that's happened before, where the electricity's gone out and it's kind of sure. it sucks, right? But to not have water, you know, you gotta wash. We well, gotta walk our hands, right? And you gotta take a shower and blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah, you and gotta leave.
0: Like, you gotta leave if they shut the water off.
1: Yeah, you shut the water off. There's no, no. You got no choice, right? So we're washing our hands with like the the, the water from the the uh, water cooler <laughs> that we have in our house, right? Which is like an expensive way to wash your hands, basically. Uh, is and it one like, of those
0: machines? This. Like those? Yeah, it's like the machine. Coligan? The little
1: wa- yeah, the Coligan, Sparklets chip. We got here. that. Um, so I'm like, fuck this. I call my wife. I'm like, this is, uh, we gotta we gotta go to a hotel, blah, blah, blah. It sucks. And she's like, oh, I'll we'll just go to my sister's house. So we ended up packing up. which took a little while, jumping in the car, both cars and hopping over here, which is nice. She doesn't live too far. And we could charge our car here because she has a Tesla. Um, my wife, she can jump in the car tomorrow morning and be fully charged and ready to go. But, you know, coming here, there's like two other kids and my son and my daughter. So it's a madhouse, right? <laughs> like it literally, they literally right. just went to bed. Um It's like a weekend, and so they're running around and stuff. And so it's been a little bit of a crazy Monday, man. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm recording uh, live and direct from the front seat of my wife's Tesla and my sister-in-law's driveway.
0: So you guys there have you a Tesla. So Yvette asked me the other day, oh, Eric has a Tesla? I go, I don't fucking know what he has. He's, he, maybe his lease expired and he picked up something else. So you have a Tesla. So what do you have? What does she have?
1: She has a t- uh, Model 3. She had the, uh, I don't know if you remember, but she had an X5. Yep. M
0: you picked up the X5 after you traded in the Audi Q7.
1: Yeah, we had the Q7, which fantastic car. Then we got the X5 M Sport, also a really good car. But we were driving one day and all of a sudden the car just started to to shake, the engine was shaking like and 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 then it died.
0: So your BMW yes. went BMW.
1: Pretty much, right? It's happened right. to me before in all my other BMWs. I don't know right. what it is. I've owned BMWs, you know, for a long time. Every single BMW I've ever owned has left me stranded on the road,
0: bro. Every year I look at the best used cars, and they always say avoid the BMW after two or three years. And they're beautiful cars, but they always have issues.
1: Yeah, it was weird, man. And uh, you know, our our X Five wasn't that old, right? A couple um, years. Yeah, it was like two, three, three years old. Three years old. You know, it was like okay, well, we got it's under warranty. Blah blah blah. This and that. I had a towed. It was like the fuel pump or the fuel line was needed to be replaced. Whatever. And, you know, it was all covered and, and whatnot, so it was a little more inconvenient than anything. But we were like, you know, this sucks, getting stranded on the side of the road because of some stupid mechanical issue on this BMW. And this is not the first time it's ever happened to us on our BMW. So we ended up, long story short... We said, okay, well, well, let's go test drive a Tesla. And we rented one on Turo, just to kind of see and live with it for a weekend. And so we rented it for a whole weekend. She loved it and we ended up buying one. So she she drives it. It's her car. She loves it. It's a different kind of experience altogether, owning an electric car, owning a Tesla. Uh, it takes some getting used to, but it's uh, it's been a pretty dramatic change of, uh, you know, just experience and lifestyle for her uh, and i think it's been it's been awesome so far i mean it's it's crazy for me to say that because i love old cars like, like so before cars. this
0: were you pro tesla or you're just like whatever
1: eh, it was kind of like whatever right i was kind of like oh they think they're so cool these tesla people <laughs> right well, I mean, people they do. own a tesla think that, yeah. always think they're so fucking cool right and that was just my perception i'm like all right you got a cool car it's fast. It's faster than my Porsche probably. its It's got cool tech. I get it, right? I get it. It's the future. Um, but I was I was always pretty hesitant to the whole idea of electric vehicles until she bought this car. And I'm like, I get it. So yeah, did you guys buy it or did, did it?
0: you lease it? We
1: bought it. Okay. We bought it. And I know you had an episode a while back where you were like, oh, I should I lease an electric car or not because the battery after a couple of years and whatnot. Uh, which I think is a fair point and I think is a consideration when you think thinking about electric vehicles. But so we bought it brand new.
0: I don't see so the we, posh is keeping a car for 10 years.
1: Yeah. I don't know. We might not. It depends. I, I mean, these cars can go with the battery, I guess, for you know 200 K more uh, mileage. Right. So the brakes, according to Elon, should never be able, you don't need to replace them. I don't believe that.
0: Yeah. I don't believe but anything. He says,
1: you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to replace your brakes because it's regenerative braking, right? Blah, 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 right? The pads, you don't ever need to replace. The rotors, I don't know if I believe that.
0: They grow back? Like, what are we talking about here? That yeah, doesn't make any sense to it. me.
1: Uh, it doesn't make sense to me either. But in any event, I'm still not like the guy. I'm not like a Tesla fanboy where like now that I own one, I'm going to go tell everybody about how awesome it is and then everything else sucks because I still love my car. I still get in my 993. I still love the old smell of it and the clunkiness of the, the doors when I, when I open and shut them. I like the way it sounds. I love the way it feels, and the experience of driving it. It's different in a Tesla where you don't really have that feeling. You're just driving and it's an efficient way of transportation. That's how I see it.
0: I mean, but it's your wife's car and I don't see her rolling around in your Porsche.
1: Well, she likes... Riding in my Porsche, she just hates the idea of. Let me take that back. She hated my last Porsche because it was loud. It smelled bad. It smelled like you know race fuel. Like no cats. And, you know she was embarrassed. She told me, "I'm embarrassed to ride in this car." I'm like, "How are you embarrassed to ride? In car? I'm embarrassed to Shame on in
0: this car. her. <laughs>
1: yeah, she loves riding in the 993 though, because know, it, it's a different experience, right? It's it's not as crazy as, as, as the turbo. So. uh but if you line up my 993 against our Tesla at a stoplight, sure, I get my ass kicked. Dude. Sure.
0: But they're two okay. completely different. Completely different.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 And that's okay. And I'm totally cool with that. And because I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, the fastest guy on the street with my, my old 25-year-old car. But these cars, they make, what, the, the version, the performance model versions of, like, all the different Tesla models. And you see him on YouTube. You see him test it. I mean, they are they are crazy fast, dude. They are so fast, and they're only gonna get faster, right? Yeah. You know, from that standpoint, it's pretty cool. Right, what do you think about it? What do you What are your thoughts on Teslas and electric vehicles? Have you come around to the idea of owning one?
0: I'm kind of the same with Teslas as you. It's like, oh, uh, good this Tesla. Uh, good for you. Air jerk. You know. But I know they're badass cars. <laughs> you know, I, I know yeah, they're badass they cars. I'll give them their their due, and people love them. I mean, every once in a while, you know, a Tesla kills somebody, but it's just you know, it's just how numbers work, I guess. Um, I don't like how they all look the same.
1: Yeah,
0: they're very cookie cutter. At the Fountain Hills show, there was a ton of Teslas, and they all look the same. I'm like, okay, wow, that's like the rich man's Camry. It's like. Because they didn't do anything to the car, like I could, you know, a couple of them had like cool body kits on them, but most of them it's just like, let's just go to this cool car show and line up all of our Camrys, our bone stock Camrys. (laughs) That's what it looked like to me. Which, by the way, dude, somebody had somebody had like a mid '90s Hyundai Accent, a white one.
1: I saw that in the photos. I'm like, what (laughs) is this? For real,
0: dude? And, bro, it and wasn't like clean up or it? anything. It's almost like they were looking for a place to park, and that's the only place they could find is right in the middle of the show. Like, it wasn't. Which is funny. nothing because, special um, about that car. It wasn't even clean. It was kind of beat That, ca- up and that car into. show, you have
1: to, like, get accepted into that no, car show. Don't not, they not, do some sort of, like, vetting?
0: Not today. Basically, you just have to pay money because it's all charity. And yeah. understand, I'm so not bagging on somebody's car. It was just look like, really funny to see this Hyundai accident at the end of this row of, like, Miyadas. And it literally was someone's starter car daily.
1: Hey, like, it's the car you give me. to
0: your kid when your kid gets a license.
1: Hey, like I said earlier, man, it's like 16 years old, man. You have that mentality. You go to the local parts store, man. You're gonna just make it your own, dude. So, hey, well, you know, he's, he's, I'm sure he loves driving that car or she, and is proud of it. So clearly, but uh, more power to them, man.
0: More yeah, fun. man, it was Let's- it was amazing to see. You ready to talk about uppity?
1: Yeah. Let's do it, man. It's uh, it's been out for a while now, right? How long has it been out for?
0: It actually hasn't. So Uppity launched earlier this month. So earlier in February, I want to say February 7th. Now when I was listening to Ryan Eversley's dinners with racers podcast, they filmed the, the Willie T ribs episode in late 2017. And in yeah, that podcast, years, they right? were talking about it launching in 2018. So I'm not sure what happened because we're now in 2020.
1: I think distribution was trying to figure that out, right? Like I didn't think they had to deal with Netflix when they first decided to do this, even though Corolla Probably. did the, you know, did the Paul Newman one, um, did the Shelby one, right? So I, I, I think it's distribution. It's so cool to see it being made and then getting to Netflix and then all of a sudden, because it's on Netflix becoming this kind of publicly exposed because it's an amazing story, right? It's just a great documentary. So well done.
0: Speaking of some of his documentaries, did you ever watch the 24 hour war? Yeah, I watched it. What'd you think?
1: You had mentioned it on one of your podcasts and I had, I got to it when I had the flu a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And, um, I hadn't watched Ford versus Ferrari yet at that point.
0: Would you have seen it now?
1: I saw. Yeah, I just watched Ford versus Ferrari finally last week, um, last weekend.
0: So, what did and you I, think I of Twenty Four uh, Hour War, and what did you think of Ford versus Ferrari?
1: Well, for me, um, I really enjoyed Twenty Four Hour War. Right. I mean, I enjoyed, really I enjoyed. I enjoyed Ford versus Ferrari, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But this is probably what you're probably thinking as well, right? I, we think a lot of in terms, in terms of, you know, the different films like this. So 24 hour war, the fact that all of that shit was going on, you know, in the run up to Ford taking a run at Le Mans, all the stuff with Ferrari and kind of that, just the history of that race that was being told in 24 hour war. And then, a lot of the the real stories behind the reason why Ford got in without all the Hollywood kind of embellishment to it was fascinating to me, right yes. like uh, we didn't grow up in the sixties, you and I, but so for us, yeah, you know, we didn't live that, you know we kind of look back on it in in history books and in you know kind of in these kind of movies, so for us, it's kind of like damn, like okay, they were really like pissed. Ford was really pissed. Ferrari was really pissed. There was a big rivalry going on even before the race, before they got on track. And then they didn't succeed, you know, in the first few times they tried to beat Ferrari. Um, and so it just made for a really cool storyline with all these different characters. Um, and the, so it, it just felt like really, really cool hit racing history that I never knew about. I knew about it, but I never knew to that level, to that level of detail behind the scenes so I really enjoyed it. Um, I get nerdy about stuff like that and then when I watched Ford versus Ferrari, which was pretty cool too kind of seeing that right after 24 hour war because then you could see how they kind of maybe made a lot of things Hollywood and and maybe kind of embellished on a lot of the different storylines but what what I took away from seeing both of those things those movies, was how cool the story was about Ken Miles.
0: See, that's the thing. Because to me, and tell me if you agree, to me, Ford versus Ferrari was more like the Carroll Shelby, Ken Miles story.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, to me, it was like the Ford versus Ferrari was kind of like in the background. And obviously, in the 24-hour war is in the foreground. And I also thought that in the 24-hour war, they went, they missed, they went again, they missed, and then they won. Yep. But right, but I think in four versus Ferrari, they went, they missed, they went again, and they won.
1: Yeah, I think they did that just to you know make the story a little bit more efficient. Sure, official.
0: but I was like, did I remember that right? I thought they went. I thought they lost twice before they won. But,
1: yeah, I mean they they did, and 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 I mean yeah, they did. They okay. did lose twice right. before they won eventually. But the whole Ken mile. So so after I watched both. I, I just started reading up on Ken Miles a lot more. Um because he's without him the G T forty would not be what it is, right? And just think about that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Without this
1: driver who was British born, you know, grew up, uh came here to the United States, partnered up with Carol Shelby and a bunch of other people, and all those dudes, Phil Remington all the guys that were responsible for the development of the GT40, and he was, you know, he was instrumental in that, and that was not only instrumental in building that car, but instrumental in winning in Le Mans. Le Mans. And, and then it's just crazy to know that the GT40 wouldn't be here or what it is today without that dude.
0: Right? When you say Le Mans, you finish with like your face with like this super <laughs> sad look on your face like your mouth is like open when you finish saying
1: it yeah, I should take a picture <laughs> Le Mans Le Mans, Le Mans.
0: It Sounds so douchey too like are you a douchebag if you say Le Mans instead of Le Mans <laughs> but it is Le Mans. it's like Ibiza <laughs> instead of Ibiza alright so we've we both love Ford versus Ferrari to a certain extent and we love the 24 hour war again people who listen to this podcast which by the way I need to make an announcement we now have an estimated audience of 10,000 people minus yeah, 9,950.
1: <laughs> but we're growing. Amen. <laughs> hey, man. We're growing. It, it takes one listener at a time, dude. I remember when we first did this, I was like, what, on the fourth or fifth podcast that you did? Season one.
0: Monterey. Hey, I live my life one podcast at a time. One podcast subscriber at a time.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I wonder how many listen, yeah, you had maybe a handful of listeners back then, so
0: yeah, and I think right now you're we're up to a like baker's it. dozen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah know you know.
0: By the way, not to rub it in, because if you were at home you would be drinking with me. So I apologize.
1: Hey, what are you drinking? What do you got?
0: I'm drinking the McAllen Classic Cut twenty nineteen.
1: Mm. Never so, had that one.
0: Because you're all Which, about by the the way, Johnny Walker.
1: Well, no, I mean, I am, but not. I
0: know you got range, but I have 2017 and 2018 at home. I don't even know what they taste like because they're still shut. This is a 2019. I bought it out here in Rancho Mirage at Total Wine. I bought two bottles because I haven't seen a 2019 before. So, one, I'm smuggling home at some point, but I store my shit on the weekends. Like, I literally bury it in the desert and then dig it up. (laughs) Okay, actually I don't but I might start doing home, that for the story. Like, yeah. That'd be kinda cool. Yeah, you actually.
1: should do that. Where did I bury this bottle of scotch this week
0: because the only one it. who would find it if I buried it would be like a coyote who needs a drink. So well,
1: you better be burying some good
0: shit, man. I mean, of course. But that's what I'm drinking, and it's pretty good. I don't love it, but it's good. But since I like to drink, I will finish this bottle before Tonight? this contract is enough. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no hell no no
1: like, damn bro how long are we doing this podcast for
0: maybe by Thursday but no I um, this will probably last me a couple of weeks a few weeks but yeah that's so awesome. that's what I'm drinking right now so I apologize that you don't have anything so
1: I don't have anything
0: this is Otherwise, che- my, cheers to my you jam,
1: my jam right now is uh, <clears throat> Lagavulin 16 that's that's what nice. I drink on a weekly basis now and I can't I keep uh buying it over and over again I know, I'm obsessed with it. I guess for for the time being. So that that I wish I had a glass of that right now, but I'm but I'm sitting in my wife's Tesla in the driveway, and I don't have a glass of Scotch like you do. So.
0: All right. So. All right. Let's talk about. All right. It. All right. Let's talk about Willie T. Ribs. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I talked a little bit about it on the last podcast, but also talked more about some of my own experiences during those times and how blown away I blown blown away how blown away I was. Just looking at the dates and then comparing them to what was really going on outside of motorsports. Cause I was so disappointed. I mean, to me, NASCAR was a given. Hate to be stereotypical, but NASCAR to me was a given. But when all the other stuff happened, you know, he went overseas. He said overseas, he was looked at as just another racer until he wasn't.
1: <laughs> until he ran out of money.
0: Right. You run out of money and you need sponsors. And sponsors ain't looking at you no more. On the front end, what are some of your thoughts on what you saw, and then we can step through some of the other stuff.
1: Well, I mean, it, first of all, like, does it surprise me that he experienced that in in each period of time he was he was a racer? No, it didn't surprise me. Why? Why right. didn't it surprise you? I don't know. I, I'm I I just believe that. In a sport like racing, sport like golf, breaking in as a person of color is going to be hard no matter what. Then you add in the added kind of complexity of money and having enough money. Then you throw in the complexity of, well, do I have the right support? Do I have the right team? Do I have the right car? Do I have the right mechanics? Right. I mean, could you have uh, that money.
0: And during those times, it's like the the African Americans haven't started to prosper nearly as much, at least in the you know the seventies.
1: Yeah, money is the great equalizer, right? In a sport like that. Yeah. Money and exposure, and so Will the story of Willie T. Rebs from moment he decided that he was going to spend his college savings, his money for college that his parents were saving to go to England to take a shot at racing in formula Ford. He was, take, he was, you know, he was basically saying, listen, I, I'm going to go out there. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I think his parents gave him $10,000 for one year. I think what it was. And that's so immense. he spent, yeah, that's a lot of money back then, back in the day. But, and he said he ran out of money, like with like four or five races left. He didn't have any money. He spent the money. And so it just so happened that he was so far ahead in the point standings because he won that many races by that point in the season that he was going to win the championship anyway, even though he ran out of money, right? Which is crazy to me. And that he had to hustle to make more money while he was out there. He was, he was, um, you know, boxing in the pubs, trying to earn some money like on the weekends. Yeah, because they
0: they covered that in the Dinners with Racists podcast.
1: Did they? Yeah. Dinners with
0: Racers podcast. Because I know it sounded like I said Dinner with Racists podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Racers. Racers
0: with an R. This time the E-R is appropriate. So Dinner Dinner with Racers. (laughs) Racers, not
1: racists. Not racists. It might as well have been, right? Like at the end of the day. It didn't surprise me that he had that experience, but what did surprise me was how he experienced it, right? Like where and in what way yeah, and how he handled it. How did he deal with that kind of shit as it was happening to him? He said no
0: one ever really blatantly called him names to his face. Apparently he was good with his hands. Like he could throw down.
1: Yeah, that's what what I read and what I heard is that, you know, he, he didn't want to fuck with him.
0: When he was six years old, he followed Dan Gurney around the track. We'll circle back to that later on in the timeline, but I thought that was a really awesome story. So a six-year-old, he takes a picture with his hero.
1: Dan Gurney, right? That's like, yeah, it's like going, like take it's like my son, who's six, going and taking a picture with Lewis Hamilton, right? right? Or, you know, world champion Formula One driver or a really famous race car driver, right, Mario Andretti.
0: I think what was amazing about this documentary is there were so many names of people that are like, like no one, I mean, only diehard racing people know who Willie T ribs is. I had no idea. I remember hearing Adam talk about it and I'm talking about Adam Corolla. I remember hearing him talk about Willie T ribs the last few years, but even then I knew he was like, Hey, he's a race car driver and we're going to talk to him. But until this documentary came out, I completely forgot, but some of the names that were in this documentary, like those are household names in co- in auto racing. And I'm like, holy yeah. shit. Like he rubbed shoulders with these guys. He was teammates with these guys. He punched these guys in the face. Fucking. Yeah, he raced,
1: he raced against a lot of these guys, right? He beat these guys.
0: Fucking Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, come on, you know, that was, a, <laughs> that was a badass story. Like,
1: holy shit. Really? I was like, damn, that was, I was surprised by that. I mean,
0: Right, He was racing, and it was a Scott Pruitt and, at the time, Bruce Jenner. He's racing with them, against them, and they're doing qualifying. Scott Pruitt cuts him off, causes him to wreck. He goes up to Scott Pruitt, punches him a couple times. Normal shit, right?
1: Yeah, normal race racetrack shit.
0: And then Bruce Jenner hops out of his car and steps up, and he basically says, look, you do track and field you come any closer, I'm going to take that pole vault and I'm going to stick it up your ass. (laughs) Bruce Jenner was like, I don't want any of this shit. I'm out. Yeah. Like, to me, that was funny as shit. It was funny as shit and kind of cool to see Caitlyn Jenner in 2020 tell the story.
1: Yeah, that was was pretty neat to see. But, I mean, that was the the dynamic back then, Then, Like, you know, he had to basically fight tooth and nail for everything that he was, you know, trying to do and basically... When races, get noticed, so that he could continue to try to work towards his goal, which was to, to be in the Indy 500 or Formula One, right? Right. Yeah. And
0: I found out he wasn't the first. There's been a lot of African-American drivers that have tried at all this stuff. I think the thing with Willie T. Ribs is he was the first successful. Because I was yeah, telling I mean, an the, old coworker about the Willie T. Ribs documentary, and she had mentioned that her next-door neighbor is Wendell Scott's granddaughter. Wendell Scott is an African American born in 1921 and died in 1990. And not to be funny, but his pictures online, they look like, like yeah, an, uh, uh, John C. Riley. Yeah. So, John C.
1: Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, these hilarious. photos
0: of Wendell Scott, I mean, you got to look at it on your phone if you can. Like, Wendell Scott looks like, like John C. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny as fuck. But anyway, he started racing. He's been in NASCAR. He raced in the 60s, bro. He yeah. spent 13 years in the NASCAR cup series, um, total wins in 16 years, one, he led 27 total laps in 13 years, but he was an African American who raced in NASCAR cup series, you know? So, so Willie T ribs, wasn't the first person to try NASCAR. I can't even imagine what Wendell Scott went through, but yeah, this guy legit race. He raced in the grand national series, which Willie T ribs also did. Um, he raced in the K and N pro series, but Sorry. well, So back to Willie T. Rips. So, so 1977, he does Formula Four. Formula Ford. Ford. Yep. Over in England. F-O-R-D. F-O-R-D. Yep. But thank you. Yeah. So Formula Ford. Because I watched it twice. And both times I was confused. <laughs> Especially because you, you know go from why? Formula if have the subtitle, Ford. If you have the duh. subtitles
1: on, on Netflix, it'll tell you. It says four, but oh. it's Ford.
0: But it's Ford. He goes from Formula Ford, duh, to Formula Three. <laughs> so you're like, wait, was it Ford? Because it went from four. Yeah, but it went from four to, to three.
1: Yeah.
0: Scorpion Racing, Mike Eastick gives him a crappy car. What? He finishes third in qualifying in the piece of shit car, right? Yeah. So they put him he, in a decent a, car and he beats a future yeah. Formula One champion. Fidipaldi. Yeah. That, that's a name <clears throat> people should know.
1: Emerson Fidipaldi.
0: So he, you know, he wraps up championship before the season is over in, in front of Eccleston, Eccleston you know, Bernie.
1: If people don't know who Bernie Eccleston is. He's a very important figure in the whole history of Formula One. Absolutely. And he, I mean, he's also a very important figure in the growth of making Formula One into a global sport. Like the David Stern
0: of racing.
1: Pretty much, right? He's a pioneer and he's, you know, he did, he's, he's done, he's doing, he's done so much for that sport. So, really, two ribs. Being in front of or being exposed to or interacting with Bernie Ecclestone that early on in his career, I think, was a was a big deal.
0: Age of 22. He fucking whoops all everyone's ass in front of the, in front of Bernie. Bernie's impressed. No sponsorships for Formula Three. Goes home. Goes home. I was like, what
1: the hell? Money, man. Told you. Money and sponsors, dude
0: he killed.
1: The dude kicked everyone's ass in the Formula Ford, right? Yep. I mean, can you imagine being that talented? And if he had gotten a shot at Formula One, coming out of Formula Ford, how different his career would have been. Think about Lewis Hamilton, who was born when I think Willie T. Ribs was midway or early on in his career. And him getting the ride and the opportunities that he got because somebody noticed his talent and decided to pour a lot of money into his career. <clears throat> and at, well, Look at where that got him. Right? And for
0: people who don't know, um, Lewis Hamilton is a British racing driver who was a mixed race. He was born in 1985. So that's right in the middle of this documentary. Lewis Hamilton is regarded by many as the greatest race car driver in modern day.
1: Yeah. He's about to be seven time world champion this year if he wins. Right. So, he always had the opportunities, the right car, the right sponsorship, the money behind him, and look where he got him. Yeah, his talent, 100. Yeah. He was. But Willie T. Ribbs didn't have that opportunity. He went home.
0: I believe a lot of the stuff that Willie T. Ribbs went through helped pave the way for people like Lewis Hamilton.
1: And it he had did. the benefit
0: of being born and over across the sea, so he didn't have to put up with a lot of the bullshit that people have to oh, put yeah, up with man. in over America. There. Because like I said in the last podcast, I mean, people stop getting so offended. We're not that far removed historically. Like if you were to take history of civilized man and put the riots of the 60s and everything that America, one of the youngest nations in the world has gone through, those lines between the 60s and 2020 would be so close. You would have to literally zoom in like six times to see any separation. It's crazy. Overseas, oh. it's not like that because overseas has been around forever.
1: Thousands of years <laughs> right. or a couple of hundred. Yeah. We're learning, right? We we have our history and it is, it's our history. And so the fact that he had to endure, that was when he was doing it, was when he was trying to blaze a trail for this. And I, I think when you look at the interviews and you read a, a little bit more about T. Etosha. After you see this documentary, you, you kind of get the sense that he wasn't trying to be the first black guy in racing. He was just trying to be a champion. He wanted to be an Indy 500 driver. He wanted to be a Formula One driver. And then people brought it to his attention. You know, and said, "Listen, yep. Muhammad Ali, for instance. Right? You mentioned all the people he came across. Yeah, you, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do this different. You know, people are gonna not like." what you're doing and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that the fact that muhammad ali is giving him this advice at that period of time right if you know if you know your boxing history and your muhammad ali history and the shit that he went through yes um i think it really kind of set him set him up right to be able to deal with that As, as well as his childhood with his grandfather and how he was raised so
0: yeah, so that yeah. was early in his career when he was overseas, right? So it so was either yeah. 77 or it was, uh, well, it wasn't, let's see, you know, so it could have been 78 when he was doing Formula Atlantic. But he told the story not on this documentary, but on the Dinners with Racers podcast, how he waited up all night for Muhammad Ali because they were in the same hotel. Because he was like, well, what do you do? He goes, well, I race cars. He goes, ain't no bleep racing cars, you know. <laughs> <laughs> ain't no black folks racing cars. But that's where they built their friendship. And he said he used to hang out with Muhammad Ali like this once a month. But I cringed when I heard that because I was like, you know, Muhammad Ali, he ain't shy. Willie T. Ribs, he was cocky as shit. Cause people don't like people who show out. And I don't care if you're black or you're white. There's right. people who don't like people who show out. They like people who are more reserved and humble. So yeah, so he was like, yeah, two things going against him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was, but I think he needed, he couldn't pull any punches, right? He needed to be that way. He yeah, thought he needed to absolutely. be that way to be able to succeed, at least to be able to to be taken seriously. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, he said, I'm no second-rate citizen, and he's right. Like, I would have handled things a little differently because of who I am, but I completely understand. You know, you got to be who you are, and you can't bow your head down. And I think he may have kind of gotten his own way a couple times. But the overall picture was bullshit. You know, and he finally it's pushed bullshit.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of bullshit, man. And I think he, from what I read and, and listen to uh, about him, he knew he had to be that way. He knew he had to, he he had couldn't pull any punches. And then, you know, he, his famous saying was like, if you don't like it, then beat me. Absolutely.
0: Right? You then hear that in sports me. all the time now. They're like, well, you're running up the score. Well, stop me.
1: Yeah. You don't like it? Beat me. So you kind of have to respect that that mindset, even though you didn't like the guy for the way that he was doing it, or people didn't like him for the way he was going about it. He was unbeatable a lot of the time.
0: And so in between, before he gets any real breaks, right, so he goes to Europe, dominates, no sponsors, comes home, hits Formula Atlantic, Long Beach Grand Prix, finishes Formula Atlantic, gets no shot. He dominated no shot. You know, Enter Humpy we- Humpy Wheeler, the blonde Don King, air quotes, 1978 NASCAR the world the NASCAR 600. People lose their shit not allowed to go to Talladega or Daytona. Like races as shit. And by the way, until I saw this, and this is really weird, until I saw this documentary and listened to the other podcast. So what do you think about when you see The rebel flag.
1: I mean, what do I think about it? Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of people feel a certain way, regardless of where you're from, where you grew up or whether or not you're from this country or not. And when you see that, I think people feel a certain way about what it used to represent or what it might represent. And I think the fact that it makes people feel a certain way, even today is enough for me to be able to say, Hey, listen, you need to figure out what to do with that. Right. Like I understand it's a part of our history and we should own it, but I think it's also, it's also one of those things that make people uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Um, Like it should have an asterisk mark. Like yeah, the guys who were accused of doing PEDs. So for me, it's like, I understood both sides of the argument for personally, when I think of the rebel flag, I think of the generally, because I used to watch Dukes of Hazzard all the time. Same. And when I went to school in Garland, Texas, I went to North Garland, which was the Running Raiders, which was Yosemite Sam. And South Garland was the South Garland Colonels. And South Garland High School used that flag because the Colonels was part of, in that instance, the Civil War of the South. So it was a Civil War colonel. Yep. And I never, ever associate it with having anything to do with, like I knew it was civil war, but I never associated with it having anything really to do with modern day racism. And then when it became such a big, big topic the last couple of years, I was kind of like where you were at, where you said it's like, man, I understand why people are uncomfortable with it. We need to find a way to maybe allow it, but still not allow it. But,
1: to, well, I think know. it's it, if you were if if racing if if motorsport, NASCAR, whatever it doesn't matter. Really want to equalize, you know, the playing field.
0: They got get rid of it
1: in terms of diversity. Then it's something that they can do tomorrow, right? It's something they can do lots of things starting tomorrow. You know what I mean? Whether it be getting more sponsorships for, for people of, uh, who are trying to break in, who are people of color, you know, equalizing the playing field in a lot of different ways or, as it relates to kind of the money involved in the sponsorships and the corporate support, et cetera. I mean, they could do that shit tomorrow, dude.
0: They could, but they don't want to. That's but they the thing. don't. NASCAR is the only professional major sport who still flies a Confederate flag.
1: And, you know, that's their prerogative. And, and so if we, if we want to see if we consumers, people who attend the races, people who support it. Want to see more of that? Then, you know, we're going to have to make sure they know that that's how we want to, you know, where our dollars are going, should go towards advancing the sport in that way. Uh, it's it's hard because I think up until this point, it hasn't been, you know, focused, right? Or ha- There have been, you know, endeavors to get more diversity, whether it be women, in racing, people of color, right? But compared to other tier one sports, we're, it's like completely far behind. And, yeah, it's uh, just,
0: it was just sad to see.
1: It's sad. It, it's sad to see. It's sad, but it is what it is. And, you know, uh, really two ribs, I feel like, he his mindset was, I'm, I'm not going to be a victim to this. Right. Right. I'm just going to go out here. I'm going to race my ass off. I'm going to win. If you can't beat me, then, you know, shut up.
0: 1982. Formula Atlantic beats out Alancer Jr. household name. Michael Andretti household name. Qualified 0.3 seconds faster than the entire field. Now, for those of us who watch racing, and you you far more than me, but I know 0.3 seconds is a long-ass time.
1: Yeah,
0: Leads more he than is. half the race. Engine failure takes him out. No one cared. Back to the family business, driving vans for his father. Again, that's after qualifying almost half a second faster than anybody else. destroying leading that race. Yeah, he's and leading Michael that race most of the race. Yep. Led most, more than half of the race before his engine takes him out. Still nothing. Paul Newman calls him. The famous Paul Newman. Paul Newman lands him an opportunity in the Trans Am series as a pay driver. So this is his first opportunity as a pay driver for the Budweiser. For Budweiser, not the Budweiser. For Budweiser, Budweiser driving a Camaro. Newman is his teammate in a, in the iconic 1983 Dotson. But they both have different motivations because Newman's doing it for sport. And and ribs is doing it to make a living. And it was so right. cool to me how Newman was like, he saw that and he understood it. And he even told Willie, it's like, look, man, we're racing for two different reasons. So if you beat my ass out there, I don't care. Right. For me, it's casual for you. You can grow from here then he ends up teaming up with David Hobbs and you and I talked about David Hobbs a little bit offline you had some takeaways about Hobbs what are your takeaways
1: i mean racing is competitive period right like you're going to you, you, you the most competition intention that you're going to have as a race car driver is with your teammate right cuz you're, tr- you're you're both trying to win in the same car effectively
0: which so, I admittedly had, I was just clueless how your teammate could be not only your biggest competition, but your most hated rival in a sense.
1: 100%.
0: Like, I was try- just like, wait, what?
1: You're trying to be the number one driver on your team. Period. Because then you get the, the opportunities, you get the money, you have the better car, typically. And so you're fighting. If you're the number two driver coming in like Willie T. Ribs was. With David Hobbs, you're going to do everything you can to try to beat the shit out of that guy on the track. And you're probably not going to like each other.
0: And what was Um, clear to me is that Willie T. Ribbs, according to this documentary, was superior to David Hobbs. Like he was beating his ass in every race until he was asked to not win so that Hobbs can win the driver's championship. He let him win that race and then beat his ass again for the rest rest of the season. Allensworth yeah. Jr. said he was unbeatable in the Trans Am car. Now, in the last podcast, I had mentioned David Hobbs. Yeah, I've I've met David Hobbs more than once, and yes, I've had drinks with David Hobbs at the iconic Sleepkins Bar in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. There's a painting on the wall that has all these great racers. Obviously, I wouldn't know how to look for Willa T. Ribs because I haven't been there in a few years. But David Hobbs is in there. Andretti's in there. Sonardi's in there. My friend Peter Cunningham is in that painting.
1: Is he really?
0: He is, cause he totally owns good. Road America, like he has almost every record in Parallel World Challenge. But before his Parallel World Challenge, like he owns all those fucking records, and so he's good friends with David Hobbs, which is why I know David Hobbs. Like he wouldn't if they're like, "Hey, do you know Jay Finney?" He'd be like, "Who?" <laughs> you know.
1: It's cool though, right? that you know, you've met him.
0: Yeah, and, time and then like he really that was in two thousand. I don't know, 16, when I went up there for the Vintage Car Weekend. And then he was a guest speaker, our keynote speaker at NS Expo 2017, also up in Elkhart Lake. So I've been around him uh, a couple of times. Yeah. But I mean, I don't personally know him. So for people who listen to the last, last podcast, like I don't personally know David Hobbs. But I just thought it was amazing for me to watch his documentary and have him pop up on there and have, you know, a decent amount of airtime.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's he's a, yeah, so they were battling as teammates should, you know, there was some, some shit that went down between them that that wasn't on the up and up. And he ended up leaving that team after that, that season, right. After David Hobbs won the championship.
0: Yeah. And also I didn't know that the best, that the top team driver, quote unquote, got the best equipment. Like I just thought everyone's rolling with the same shit on the same team, at least.
1: I mean, usually in like, like formula one, for instance, Uh, The idea is that both guys have equal cars pretty much. Right. But yeah, that's the kind of shit that happens in racing, man, like interteam team tension and dynamics. The Trans Am series was his, his big break. Paul Newman was kind of the, the trigger for getting him into, to that big of a, a racing series. And he did well in Trans Am.
0: Yeah. And they said he was uncoachable, which I can understand. Even the guys in the documentary who were obviously on his side were saying he was, you you read between the lines, he was kind of a pain in the ass as a teammate, as whatever. So I can understand how he would fall out of favor with management, color of his skin aside, but that didn't help. You know, and he had a great relationship with Jack Roush until Don King showed up. And that's when Jack Roush starts fucking with his engines.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, there was a lot of bad shit in racing and a lot of racism that wasn't necessarily directed or direct to him. And, and, but it, there was a lot of that, but there were a lot of people along his career path that helped him.
0: Absolutely.
1: And we're good. And we're the good parts of racing. We're the good people that, you know, saw his talent. Jim Truman. Decided, yeah.
0: From uh, Red Roof Inn. From Red Roof Inn. You know, you know Phil, Jim Truman, Paul Paul Newman, Newman.
1: Truman. Yep.
0: And those are there. I mean, he had a handful of like, Top end supporters once he started getting a role. So regardless of what anybody else, how they treated him, he had people who wanted him in there because they understood that it was just straight up talent. Now, how about Paul Leffler? Remember him? He was the chief mechanic. The first shot he gets in 1985 and this Paul Leffler guy wouldn't even talk to him and he was the chief mechanic. And he was saying that, man, Indy 500 in those cars, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to fucking die.
1: Yeah. I mean, that whole first stint of Willie T. Ribs going to Indy and getting a ride. He jumped in this car that he never tested before. He gets the car. It's not right. Yep. All these other teams have been testing for a month.
0: Chief Mechanic doesn't want to fucking fuck with him either. So you got the a shitty dude, car and you got a guy who hates you.
1: Yeah. What the hell, man? Like, how would How would you feel walking into a situation like that? It's your dream to make it. Try to qualify.
0: 1985. We're not talking 1965, 1925,
1: 1985. Yeah, it's sad, dude. It's disappointing, but at the same time, again, like I said earlier, am I surprised I had to deal with that shit? No. I mean, I mean, I'm not, there's a lot of shit that goes on today. (laughs) Right. Like,
0: right. Like I said, not that far from the sixties,
1: not that far. Right. And, and so, um, It's unfortunate that he had that experience, but it was probably the right decision that he made to walk away from that car that first go around at Indy and say, listen, this is not right. I don't feel right. It's not the right situation. I'm stepping I'm stepping away.
0: 1985 after he says, fuck it. And walks away from the Indy 500, which he got a lot of shit for. Goes back to the Trans Am series, teams up with Wally Dahlenbach Jr. Who was all throughout this documentary. They dominate as a teammate, but one of the cool things was the rental car scene in Days of Thunder. Remember, they said that that scene they stole from Wally Willie yeah. because they yeah, rented cars and they were driving cool. like shit all the way to the track and they fucked those cars up. And there's that scene in Days of Thunder. I thought yeah. that was funny.
1: Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, it's all like the whole dynamic of Don back and really T-Ribs was, was a lot better, right, than yeah. Him and, and Hobbs.
0: yeah. him and Hobbs. Him and Hobbs, absolutely. Um, they were highly competitive, but they respected the hell out of each other.
1: Which is the way it should be. Right. I mean, so he he goes and, and then he gets his other one. Uh, what's the year he gets his next shot? So Indy?
0: this is in Detroit, 1985. Don King shows up again, and this was when Jack Roush, who had... So this is when Wally and... and And Willie, they were dominating. They had a great relationship with Jack Roush. So everybody, Jack Roush is Roush Mustangs. So if you get a Roush Mustang, it's Jack Roush. So Jack Roush changes his attitude towards Willie completely, like night and day. Sabotages the rest of his season. So from the point that Don King shows up, all of a sudden, Willie, who's never had any issues before, has car failures every race for the last four races. Goes into the last four races on top of all the points, ends up falling out of the points, and Wally wins the series. That was the last time he raced for
1: Jack Roush. That, that, that story to That's some fucked up man. shit. That's a wild story, dude. Just the pettiness of that whole situation, just because some dude really wants to, has some aspirations.
0: So when we come back, we'll tell you about another one of our sponsors. Welcome back. We're going to finish talking about Willie T Reds, but first I want to talk about dressupbolts.com. Dressupbolts.com has titanium bolts and maybe some of Willie's cars would have held together a little bit better and looked better had they've gone to the future and hooked up with Seth and my friends over at dressupbolts.com. Dressupbolts.com, titanium bolts have vastly improved the look of your vehicle, but serve a purpose as well. Available to dress up the engine and the engine bay. In case you have both, they have kits ready to go for your specific application. Probably don't have race car applications, but they probably do have the hardware for it. In fact, Eric, I could see the ones I have on my car looking nice on yours. Like with, did they make them? Why would they not? But with Porsches, seen. like yours, like the air-cooled Porsches, I don't really see. A lot of them on display from a motor aspect, unless they have like those big, crazy turbos.
1: Yeah, man. I I don't need to be sure. There's no reason to show my motor. Not a lot to show there is what I'm getting at. No, there isn't. Not
0: yet. Not yet. Not ever. Maybe not not ever. ever. So let's pick up 1986. goes back to NASCAR. This is after he goes to Portugal. just has the F1 cars. Beats their target time by a full second. It's up being mm-hmm. nothing more but some stupid side bet like that movie Trading Places. The Italians want the Italian drivers, which to me is no surprise. Nope. You know, to me, I wasn't surprised at all that I was a little shocked at the bet. You know, they're kind of fucking with him, but I wasn't surprised he didn't get picked up because those international races, those countries want their people because yeah. their people want their people to represent them in these races. So no surprise there.
1: Think about remember Ford versus Ferrari when um they booted Sir Sir Tees, who was the Ferrari driver uh that was supposed to start the race, uh, and ended up uh, putting like some one of the guy's nephews right.
0: Yep, like the the people want their own drivers. I mean the Miles thing. They didn't want Miles in the car. They wanted their Ford wanted their own drivers, even though Ken Miles was the guy. So we go to 1986. He wins his first race in the Winston Cup Series, and he's on a roll. By this time, unfortunately, Jim Truman is like really sick. So by the third yep. race at Watkins Glen, he has engine failure. All you know, all his engines blew by the fourth lap. Okay, so this is the one where the engine builder was nowhere to be seen. So Jim Truman passes away this year. Super sad. Like this is the one part of yeah, the documentary where you can tell Willie was tearing up because this guy gave him like all these chances when most people weren't believing in him. I felt sad. I was like fuck. That was that was a sad shit. As much as the documentary was would anger you a little bit and disappoint you a little bit, this was to me the the sad part of the documentary.
1: Oh, 100%. Yes, he, he played such an instrumental role in his career and at the end of the day, um the dude did so much for Willie and for other people, right? He was just this genuine person who wanted to see Willie succeed and supported him throughout his entire career, whether it be money or trying to get him opportunities and and then you know he passes away. Yeah, that's a it's just sad. It's sad yeah. to see.
0: That was tough. He kept giving him chances when other people wouldn't. And it was just it was heartbreaking. You know, it's part of life, but it was heartbreaking. But by this time he started his career was turning around. He was running IMSA in nineteen eighty six, went to race with Ryan Falconer. Against Jack Roush, so he finally gets his payback. He finishes second yep. to Dan Gurney's Toyotas. And remember, <clears throat> Dan yep. Gurney, when he was six years when Willie was six years old, takes a picture with his hero. That was cool. That
1: everything come full circle.
0: Yes, because in 1987, Riz was driving for Dan Gurney, his childhood hero.
1: It's crazy, man.
0: And this is when we get the Bruce Jenner and Scott Pruitt story, which is shady mm-hmm. as hell, how his girl Scott Pruitt's girlfriend said it. Willie hit her when he was hitting Pruitt gets suspended. Yep. First driver ever suspended from IMSA.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's bullshit. A lot of, see again, like the odds are, the odds are against them. You mess up, you know, you get, you know, it's punitive. You know, you, you get punished in a different way, which sucks, but I mean, it happened, but a lot of, a lot of, a lot of odds against him.
0: I don't suspect he was suspended for very long. Because later that season, he comes back, Del Mar, Toyota versus Ford. So, Ribs is in the 99 Celica, edges off Scott Pruitt in the number 11 Ford. Toyota wins the Manufacturing Championship. So, he comes back and wins the manufacturers Championship for his idol, Dan Gurney. Meanwhile, Ribs wins Driver of the Year. So, shit is like seriously on the up and up.
1: Yeah, that was a big turning point, you know.
0: After that, nothing. Answer: Bill Cosby, 1988. Hi to the Cosby Show, America's dad. Bill Cosby comes out and says, I'll put $350,000. He's the most popular man in America. Spokesman for Jell-O. Spokesman for Coke. Jell-O. Spokesman for Kodak. Goes to all those companies. No support. I was floored.
1: Yeah, the reasoning they got from a lot of these companies is a bullshit, dude. Right. We're not in the racing. You know, meanwhile Coke has Coca Cola race. Yep. Right? They're
0: like, we're not in the racing and they they sponsor us, like the Coca Cola six hundred or some shit. Yeah, it's
1: bull- it
0: man. Derek Walker There's- though. Former Factory Porsche IndyCar team, Walker Racing. Enter this guy. This is when shit starts really happening. So he goes to Indy in nineteen ninety one, finally. With 350000 from Bill Cosby because they couldn't raise another penny. And one piece of shit car. Most teams have several cars. You get three chances per car. He finally lands an engineer. In Tim Waldrop. Waldrop. Waldrop? Waldrop. Three-time Indy winning engineer. So everything is falling into line. You could tell watching this part of the documentary. It's like, oh shit. Here we go. Mm -hmm. They have one month to qualify. They keep blowing these fucking Buick motors. They keep blowing up on them. No money, no motors. We're at the last weekend of the month. You have to do four laps, 10 miles to qualify. And the qualification is different. So they take your average speed and match it up against the other racers' average speed. So it's not like most qualifying where you can have three subpar laps and one badass lap, and they take your best lap. This is your average speed.
1: They take the average of all of them. Yep.
0: They don't get a motor. They start doing a lot of lobbying to Buick. I would imagine it's, I mean, you probably have to play the race card. Like, can you imagine what would happen if they doesn't do this, and we tell the world that you didn't step up Buick and help this guy? Like, is that really what you want your legacy to be? Now, I'm shocked because this is 1991, and they're having to bend someone's Arm backwards to get a support still. 1991. So Buick finally gets him a motor. Now they're at bump day, right? This is the last day to qualify. They are within the last hour to qualify. Yeah. One last attempt. Like you can't make this shit up. Since they burned through the first two attempts already. Because remember, each car gets three attempts. They burn through two. What happens? With everyone watching, he finally takes a run at history. And he does it. He goes through, and each lap is faster and faster. He's averaging these speeds, higher speeds than he's ever aver- averaged the first two attempts. He becomes the first African American ever to qualify for the Indy 500 in 1991, which is what he set out to do as a goal. He raced with Emerson Fittipaldi, AJ Foyt. These are household names, guys. He ended up going out with a mechanical failure. He came back in 93 and finished all 500 miles. He didn't win the race, but he do he went out a race car legend and a winner. Like he finally got to his goal after all the bullshit and accomplished it. Now I'm sure his ultimate goal was to win win the Indy five hundred, but when you get to that point, man, that's like you're going up against the best of the best of the best of the best of the best.
1: And you are doing it in an inferior car.
0: That's yeah. And good you point. know
1: it's inferior. You know it's not gonna be competitive. But you're doing it, you still are able to get Get there, qualify, get on the grid, race around, you know, 500 miles at the biggest race in the history of motorsport, you know, on this side of the world. That in itself is, like you said, I think is, was his dreams to be able to be there. And, uh, had he, had he been put in a similar machine to the, the, the drivers that are at the front of the grid, who knows? Could have won that race.
0: They obviously had the skill because going through all these years that we've gone through, he's beaten some household names. He's dominated some household names. And that's just amazing.
1: Well, you know what? You know what surprises? Maybe not surprises. You know what impresses me the most about this whole documentary was that he, you put him in a car, any car, IMSA. Formula Ford, Trans Am series, Indy, Trans Am, Formula One. You could throw him in the car, no practice, couple of laps, and he's gonna throw it down. Bro,
0: he killed right? it in a Mercury Capri.
1: <laughs> I mean, who who can do that? And Willie um, Willy
0: fucking T ribs.
1: And so you, it just it just tells you how much talent this dude had. And then you combine it with the brashness, his bravado, his confidence, his cockiness that you said. And just the way that he approached, you know, the whole sport. It it just, um, it's impressive, man. Regardless of what color his skin was, black, white, whatever. It's impressive that anyone could do that.
0: So here we are in 2020. According to Wiki. To date, only seven African-American drivers have started at least one race in what is now called the Monster Energy Trucks uh, Monster Energy Cup Series, which is NASCAR. So still, in 2020, like you were alluding to earlier, that is one of the major, I wouldn't say major sports, because NASCAR itself isn't a sport. It's a classification within a sport. But to America, it's a major classification of NASCAR. To this date, there's only been seven people. Yeah. which is Again, like I said earlier, amazing. that could
1: change tomorrow or start to change tomorrow. You know what I mean? And I, I don't doubt there are people in the sport with a lot of influence that have been trying to make that happen. Right. Like I said earlier in his career, there were many, many good people to him. Yep. And that's encouraging. And that's, that's extremely, um, you know, Uh, it makes you optimistic about where it could go, but golf did it. Tennis did it. Right. All these other sports that were hard to break into.
0: I mean, tennis, Arthur Ashe. I mean, that was a long time ago.
1: Arthur Ashe, Tiger Woods, lots of other, you know, black athletes in a lot of other sports. Um, but just think about like how much money goes into these uh this the sponsors the people that watch these these sports right and and that pay these sponsors like right? whether it be coke or budweiser or whatever it doesn't you know they're black white whatever you know hispanic so there's really no reason why we couldn't make that change to 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 uh, be more diverse and more sport and i know all over the world that it it's less uh, it's, it's more probably easier to, to do that, but even across the world, there's not a lot of African American drivers in, in a lot of the other race series. Dude, going so.
0: back to what we we're talking about earlier, Mr. Lewis Hamilton across the seas, according to what I read so far, and it could be wrong, he's still the only African American of formula one history.
1: Formula one, only one,
0: but not only is he the only one six time F one champion 84 race victories, 151 podium finishes, and the current record holder for all-time career points, all-time pole positions, and grand slams in a season.
1: Right, so he's not done.
0: He's not done. It's
1: kind of like LeBron and Jordan, the whole kind of debate. LeBron Or Jack Nicholson
0: and fight. Tiger, right?
1: Right. But, yeah, at the end of the day, Lewis Hamilton, only one in Formula One, but he just happens to be Regarded as damn near greatest. one of
0: the one of the greatest, and some say is the greatest. Yeah. So I ask people to give me their non-car and their car questions of the week, and I get all sorts of questions. Some of them are really good. Some of them tell me that they obviously don't listen to the podcast. So let's go to our non-car question. We can do some of them. You know, Catherine Cox, which, by the way, Catherine, you asked some of the better questions. You got to give other people a chance. Other people, I challenge you to be Catherine.
1: What do you got? What's Catherine's question?
0: So Catherine's question is, do you still still go to the movies or do you wait for it to be available via streaming? And Asphalt Angel asks, what is the best meal you've ever had?
1: Oh, man. Those are good ones. They are good. Um, The movie one. Let's do the movie one first. That's an easy one. Let's start. With it. Let's start there. Well, so Catherine's what question. Do? Yeah. So, what do you do?
0: I would rather always go to the movies. Like you know, when you see a preview, it's like that's a movie, movie, or that's a wait till it comes out. So if it's a comedy, comedies you don't have to see on the big screen, but if it's got a lot of cool CGI, action, explosions, I want to see that on the big screen. So for me, really, yeah, I'll still go to the movies. Like every Marvel movie, I'm going to the movies. Bad Boys Three. Going to the movies,
1: you're old. You're still old school like that, huh?
0: Yeah, it's a it's know. a great experience. I can't I can't wait because I, and I blame social media because they fuck everything up. Like I can't wait to go to the movies to see this stuff. I don't care about the popcorn. So it sounds like know. you're not. Like, what do you do?
1: I don't know, man. I there's I, I no I have no. There's no appeal to me anymore to walk into a movie theater. I I, I worked at a movie theater. It was my the first job soul. out of high school. I don't know. There's no. There's not enough. I don't want to sit around with a bunch of people in a small, you know, theater or a theater, yeah, and you know, wait in line, watch previews, and then you know, have to jump in the car afterwards and drive home. When I could just, assuming you can get a decent quality version of that movie, I'll pick home all day long, dude. Hmm. All day long. What's the last movie and you went
0: to go see? Toy yeah. Story 4. It's been a minute because
1: I, I took, I took, I took the my kids, kids. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And then what happens when you take your kids to the movies, this is what exactly what happened to me when I was a kid and my dad would take us to the movies. I fall asleep and they end up watching your the kids fall asleep. No, I fall. Asleep. Oh,
0: you fell asleep when you went in Toy Story four.
1: Yeah. And so what I ended up doing was just watching it at, at home pirated. So The experience of sitting in a theater doesn't appeal to me anymore because a lot of times I end up falling asleep anyway, regardless of what the movie is.
0: So you don't go for like Fast and Furious or any of that. Like, there's some movies you have to see at the movies.
1: No, man, no, no. Like Ford versus Ferrari. I just bro. This is the
0: last podcast we're doing together, by the way. So
1: (laughs) dude, I have no. It's like I don't. I don't play a lot of golf anymore because I don't have the time to go out for four hours and sit uh, somewhere and play golf. You know, where's four hours in your day, dude? That's a lot of time. You know, I I try to play golf, but I I can't do it all the time. The movie theater is a process. You got to get in the car. You got to go there. You got to come back. I can just turn it on my TV. It's a convenience revolution, bro. Like everything is like at your fingertips. Ford versus Ferrari came out on streaming, what, like last week? And when was it in the theater? It was like a month ago. At least. It's crazy. It's that close now.
0: Um, Like yeah. Ford vs. Ferrari, I've, you know, I've been talking about it on the podcast. I eventually went to go see it, and I was watching it by myself one night at the movies. Now, that's a movie I could have easily watched without having to go to the movies.
1: Yeah, but I get it. I get why you say there are certain movies you got go to go see.
0: Do you know what the best meal you've ever had is? Or what's something? Let me rephrase that. What's the best thing you've ever eaten? Because oh, that's God. not the same as the best meal you've ever had.
1: I'll have to think about that. You go first. Let me think about this one. I have a couple.
0: So one of the best things I've ever eaten, there's a place called Doc B's. And I think they're a small chain. The one I went to is in Fort Worth. And there's a little area called the Shops at Clear Fork. So at Doc B's, this was an appetizer. But it was basically like a full meal. Because what it is, it's a giant Wagyu-based spicy meatball with lightly butter-crusted Texas toast. And actually, that Texas toast tastes like the Hawaiian, cream, uh, Hawaiian king rolls. Yeah. Which are fucking delicious.
1: Yeah, I love those.
0: I remember I was eating this thing, and I remember thinking, like, holy shit. Not only is this way over for an appetizer, but this might be the best thing I've ever fucking eaten. <laughs> and <laughs> and I went back because we... So, for us consultants, we do this thing. It's like, when you go somewhere, someplace for the first time you love it. Like Michael Jordan's steakhouse in Chicago, seems like it would be kind of like, eh, that place is fucking legit. Right. And due to contrary belief, from from a steakhouse perspective, it's not nearly as expensive as it could be. Like it's reasonably priced for a steakhouse. I mean, you know, steakhouses, you know, you're kind of like me. And the people who don't go to steakhouses would be like, yo, that shit's expensive.
1: You're talking about the new, the one now versus the one back in the day.
0: The more recent, but like a place like that, you go the first time and you love it and you're afraid to go back because the second time is never as good as the first time. No.
1: no, And if your first time sucks,
0: you ain't going back anyway. So we went to Michael Jordan Steakhouse a couple times as a group and we loved it both times. And so this place, Doc B's, I went back and ordered this again a few months later and it was just as good. So for me, this giant wagyu beat you know meatball with these four gigantic slices of Texas toast, which is basically they stole it from Hawaiian King roll is the best thing I've ever
1: eaten so I go to San Francisco a lot for work. We go out there every now and again as a family just for vacation, but we are really digging into ramen and but there is a spot in downtown San Francisco, and it's called a bench Men show, M E N S H O. It's a tiny, probably ten tables inside, maybe less. And they have this bowl of ramen that's so creamy. The pork tonkatsu broth that has like a super creamy texture to it. And you then add they extra add, katsu to it. Yeah, you add you can add extra katsu, but you can have it with you know, with the pork belly.
0: Get the duck egg in it.
1: In a duck egg, um, you can have it in a couple different ways. You can have it spicy, but they hand make all their noodles. Everything is like super like craft. Everything is made in the back kind of situation, and it tastes so rich when you're eating it. You've never you've never tasted a bowl of ramen this rich before. That that's how creamy it is. It's like a James Beard winner type of spot right, right. It, it doesn't look fancy it's not right you get in there you eat and you leave because there's a long ass line outside and they don't want you staying long their claim to fame is not only their creamy broth but you can put duck instead of pork chashu in it you can put duck chashu in it it's probably the best bowl of ramen it is the best bowl of ramen i've ever had
0: let's go to the car question so we have several no, to the car choose car from question. Ryan a Anwar. Is a company more financially successful when it's run by engineers, designers or marketing, which I think is a good question. Will Lotus mutual friend of ours. Can you trust employees in an oil chain shop?
1: Let's do the first one. Let's, let's, the let's, car company. Let's do the first one. Yeah. That's a good question, man. That's I think a hard it's a great
0: one. question. Actually. I might send him a coaster.
1: Yeah. No, that. What so is it?
0: Engineers, designers or marketing? You get to go first. Repeat so the question. It, is a car company more financially successful when it's run by engineers, designers, or marketing?
1: Financially successful—that's the key, right? It is the key. So let's think about this, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna talk out loud, right? So.
0: And you're right. I didn't think about it when I was successful. writing it down, but that is the key part of this question.
1: So what com- car companies are financially successful? You think about Toyota. You think about a company that builds millions and millions of cars like Toyota, which is, you know, a kind of middle tier.
0: Isn't Toyota the guy who was like hiding from his shit? Well,
1: no, that's Nissan. That's Gosin.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's a funny yeah. story, by the way. But anyway, continue with your answer. That's
1: a different podcast, but that's a crazy <laughs> story, dude. That shit is fucking crazy. Some TV um, shit. Really, it is. So, so Toyota. Toyota is financially successful because it builds cars that everybody buys. Their marketing is not that great, even though they have, you know, pretty consistent marketing, I would say. Their cars haven't been that inspirational until until recently, in my opinion, with the the new Supra, as well as, um, where they're coming out with like a, like an 8086 kind of thing. They thought it was going to be like a MR2 or or like a re, reborn Celica or whatever. But there's some cool shit coming out from Toyota. But for the most part, consistent, right? They don't do a ton of like crazy marketing. Um, and then the designers, I mean, the Toyota cars these days, like the TRD Camry, that's a good looking car, man. I have to admit, I like it. Um, some of the other cars starting to look a little edgier with the TRD stuff. So what I'm trying to say, what I'm probably getting to is out of all of those components of Toyota, what makes it successful to me is, is probably the car itself, right? The engineering, right? It's, it's reliable. It's reputable. You know what you're getting. It's always engineered well. Um, it's increment. It's almost just like an incremental improvement over the last year and everybody buys them, man. Like it's just so wildly popular so if you compare that to a company like a porsche that's not doing as many vehicles or an audi or a bmw i mean i think it's a it's hands down you got to be the engineering in my opinion that's my first thought what what do you think
0: i think in order for a car company to be financially successful you actually not to cop out here but you actually need to have a little bit of each so the designers are the visual they design a cool car the engineers are responsible for making the design come to life. So if the engineering is fucked up, it doesn't take too long. Let's look at at Mazda's FDR-X7, 93 to what, 98? Or was it 97? That car looked great, engineered like shit. Every engine blew by 60,000 miles. Great marketing. That car, in my opinion, was a huge failure. Now, Fast and Furious in the import world has helped keep it afloat. But I feel like Mazda never recovered from that. And then when they came out with the RX-8, that oh was also a huge flop. Because they promised all this shit and the engineers couldn't make it work. And that car was a huge flop. Because Mazda's marketing, thum, thum, you know, that's a that was a good marketing campaign. But I think if the designer is good, the engineer is good, the marketing is what actually makes a car, a company, financially successful. Because you take a look at companies who get full of themselves. And again, this is coming from a car guy who doesn't know shit about cars. You look at Lamborghini and Ferrari. Like, does Ferrari even own Ferrari? Because I know Lamborghini doesn't own Lamborghini. I mean, Audi might own Lamborghini. Like, I'm not sure. I'm a Volkswagen. So, I feel like... Marketing is more responsible, all, all three of them together, but if I had to assign a percentage, then my math sucks. But I would say design is a decent percentage, engineers is a decent percentage, and marketing is a decent percentage plus one. So if they're all 33, marketing would be 34%. Yeah, you did cop out on
1: that one.
0: Yeah, thank you. It makes thank sense. As a push, right? As a push and a camel push. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. And there's a lot of different ways to answer it. I think, um, at the end of the day, you're right. It's a mix of everything. Yeah. You can probably do a little case study on each car company. Take Porsche, for instance, right? For a long time in the eighties, late eighties, and nineties, they were in trouble and their marketing was a big deal to attracting people and keeping that kind of, um, interest and appeal of buying a Porsche. But in behind the scenes, they were in trouble. There
0: are two Porsche ads that always stand out to me, and they're always from that era. One of them was Kills Bugs Fast, which is your model Porsche Turbo, Arena Red Porsche Turbo poster. I was obsessed with that. Kills Bugs Fast. I was just like, oh my God. And then they had one that says a lot of companies have a sports car in their lineup. Porsche has a lineup of sports cars. For me, that was badass, too. And both of those. I love, that you,
1: I love that you remember it, dude.
0: Yeah, dude. <laughs> those it's are the like, beds to you. in your head. is like, whoa,
1: what's up? You know? Yeah.
0: And can you trust employees that are at an oil change shop?
1: What other answer is there to that question? Then no.
0: You mean right? yes or no?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, there's, there's no way. But who, who? The only reason you go to a Jiffy Lube and whatever is because you, you, know, you don't want to You spend don't know how to your do your and shit. And you don't know how to do your shit. And or you have no fucking clue about cars.
0: Is there anything more simple than an oil change? Like, just think yeah, about
1: change. it. No. You know what? Changing your light bulb in your car is harder than doing an oil change.
0: It can be because some cars you have to pull up the whole fucking front bumper, which is bullshit, by the way.
1: So Some people don't know how to change a tire, dude. Right? I felt like in high yeah. school, we learned that in auto shop class, you have to take, in my high school, you have to take autos. And the first thing they taught you was how to change a tire.
0: You had an auto shop class?
1: <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> we had an auto shop, dude. It wasn't great. Right. We were working on old shit. And the first thing they taught you was how to change a tire. But there are people out there that don't know how to change a tire. But it's probably easier, as easy, to change the oil in a car. Yeah, because, because you pull the
0: drain plug. You let that shit leak out. You put the plug back. You take the oil filter off. And you put a new oil filter on, you lube it first. You gotta, you know, dip your finger in the oil and put it on the gasket, then tighten it up. And then you just pour more oil on the top and you're done. That's it. You're
1: done. My brother-in-law had, has FJ, had FJ, which is a cool car, right? I think he took it to one of those shops or, or yeah, and they forgot to tighten the drain bolt. And so he's driving it and, uh The engine seized, you know, you know, after 30 minutes of driving it, and got stuck on the side of the road. Didn't know what was going on. They forgot to tighten the drain bolt or put it back on or whatever, whatever the fuck.
0: They didn't put a crush washer on there, probably.
1: Yeah, and the car was ruined, dude. FJ, which is not is a it, you know is uh, a Toyota. A, Toyota FJ, right? Those are... Those weird looking
0: SUV thingies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: People love those cars. I mean, they they hold their value. (laughs) I was like, really? That's fucking crazy. So I'll never... If I was in high school and I wanted a job, I definitely would want to work there because I like cars. But would I ever trust taking a car there? Unless I didn't know anything about cars and I had no fucking clue. Then I get it. There's
0: no way I'm trusting any of those guys. I mean, if why not pay the extra 30 bucks and take it to the dealership? If you're going to do an oil change from somebody other than yourself, because a lot of people like don't want to fuck with this shit. Like, I don't change my own oil all the time, but I know how to do it. But I'd rather take my infinity to culture infinity than take it to Firestone because the dealership, people do it. Yeah. The dealership knows if they screw up, that's on them. So like yeah, so for my answer to that, cause I wasn't quite sure until I listened to you. That's why I made you go first. But <laughs> can you trust employees at an oil chain shop? I mean, there's a lot of variables in there. I used to have a buddy who ran a Valvoline. I would take my Integra there and I knew that I could trust it because he's the manager and he's making sure my shit was done right. But also to your horror story, you just told, and even Marcelo took his Audi A5, my son, recently before he sold it to a Firestone down the street. And he was, I came home one day and I'm looking, I'm like, Marcelo leaking oil again? There's an oil spot. And I asked him about it, and he's like, he noticed it, and he called them like a few days later, and they knew exactly who he was. He's like, hey, I was in there last weekend. And I'm like, they're like, oh, is this an Audi A5 black? (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck? So shit like that. And it was it was just like you said, it was the dream plug. So my guess is they didn't put the crush washer in there before they tighten it up. And so what happens if they don't do their job correctly and your car blows up? Like I don't know what the recourse is. But yeah, so I don't know. Can you trust them? I guess not. But that doesn't mean you don't take your car there but just do your due diligence. Is it a reputable shop? Is it something I could take to someone? Do I have a friend who will do it for 20 bucks? Should I just take it to the dealership? You know, because here's the thing. So a lot of these shops advertise, okay, get your oil changed for 20 bucks. So that's your filter, the labor and the oil. Now, if you have synthetic oil or blend, you're not getting it for 20 bucks because synthetic oil is expensive. Right. And those are the places that are going to charge you 80 bucks and up. So some places I'm going to charge you 80 bucks because you have synthetic oil. Don't immediately think, oh, that's way too expensive. I could take it down the street and get it done for 20. Because if your car needs synthetic oil, guess what? You're not getting it for 20. That same shop will turn around and say, oh, uh, well, the thing is, you you have synthetic oil. It's a special oil. It's Audi oil. (laughs) And it's like pink. So we got to go to the dealership and get it. And it's going to cost you 85 bucks. So you might as well just go to the dealership and pay whatever the cost because the oil change is like 20 minutes.
1: Yeah. And awesome. just
0: get it done there if you're not doing it yourself.
1: My brother is a mechanic for Honda for, what, 10, 15 years. He, me- mechanics at dealerships, regardless of whatever brand you work for, they have zero respect and trust in those spots those those little oil change spots. Oh, so like
0: so like a Jiffy Lube or Valvoline or something. Yeah man.
1: Yeah. It's like you probably don't have to be an ASC
0: certified fucking mechanic to work at those places.
1: I don't know. You just
0: have to be able to unscrew a fucking
1: drain bolt and pull it out. Maybe there's students at UTI or whatever, which is where my brother went to school. It's cool. That's what I have to say about that. Hell no. If you're taking a car to that shop and you're uh you you should expect bad things to happen.
0: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. So those are our car questions from Instagram. I appreciate it. You anything go. you want to talk about? You want to pimp anything before I go into my closing? Maybe Last Airbrand or Eeps 993 or something?
1: Yeah, no, we're just uh, always um, excited to continue to bring race-inspired apparel and um, more sport-focused uh, clothing and accessories to other enthusiasts so check out our page on uh, social media at last era brand we're always coming out with some new gear dropping some new shirts hoodies hats you name it throughout the year so give us a shout check out our instagram you can find us on www.lasterabrand.com, our website if you want to check out uh, the actual gear we have, uh, and um, you can get in touch with me on my personal page at eeps993 as well. So is
0: that eeps underscore
1: 993? Is it? Isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea.
0: So there you have it. I think so, so. Yeah, there you have it. So thank you, Eric, for joining us. Special thanks thank to the Passion you know. Hi-Fi for the tunes, which I've downloaded from SoundCloud. I may or may not switch up my music going forward. I don't know. There's some other stuff I want to use, but I really like this music. This podcast is sponsored by Anchor FM. Actually, they don't sponsor it, but they host it, which is available on Apple Pod Center, Spotify, and many, many more. Special thanks to NSX Channel. Special thanks to DressUpBolts.com. If you have any questions or feedback or topics, please DM me at NA2NSX on Instagram, or you can email me at heartparkingpodcast at gmail.com. And like I always say, Eric, what do I say? I said, let's grow this. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together.
1: Tell a friend. That's all Tell tell a friend, man. You tell a
0: friend. Yeah, tell a friend. I mean, actually, as of this podcast, I just checked and I got my statistics up to number 25 for automotive on iTunes, which is going to drop to probably 100 next week. But if we keep releasing these podcasts, you keep telling a friend, you never know.
1: Tell a friend, man. Everyone likes to be part of the come up of like how... Things grow, so absolutely. All you your friends and all the people that are listening, just tell one friend. You never know, man. You might be that number one on that list sometime soon. And I know I mean, you'll get there.
0: And I you want know. to thank you for supporting us from day one. So absolutely. for Eric Pasha, this is Jay Finning. This has been the Hard Parking Podcast. Thank you for your time, Eric. I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Good night. Thanks. All
0: man. right. Good night, Eric Pasha.
1: Shut up.